Emmanuel Institute actually changed my life forever. I, I was active in ministry and have been for a number of years, but when I left the Emmanuel Institute, it sort of lifted that spiritual game for me. Um, I learned how to do Bible studies, how to handle objections, how to um, give Evangelism 101 courses at our church, which I've implied and, and put into practice. Just all kinds of things. Door knocking. We've, we learn all sorts of stuff. For anybody who's nervous or feels awkward about witnessing or sharing the truth, uh, Emmanuel opens up all those doors for you and takes away pretty much all that pressure. Just the spiritual excellence, the desire to save souls and to work and train people, it was really beneficial. I think it's one word, two letters. If we do this, we'll grow spiritually, we'll grow together closer as a church, and that word is though. Our next Emmanuel Institute training intensive is coming up September 10 through 16. If you want to deepen your own walk with Christ, learn how to share your faith more effectively, and help grow your local church, make plans now to attend. Registration is limited, so visit michigansspm.org today. I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're now into lesson six of our Ephesians study guide here. This week, the lesson is titled, The Mystery of the Gospel. Uh, we're, basically, this is looking at Ephesians chapter 3. And we basically, as we've talked about before, been yeah. walking sequentially right through the chapter of the chapters of the I was just looking book at your description. This week, we will examine the mystery of Ephesians 3. Basically, this week, we're going to look at Ephesians 3 or Ephesians yeah. 3 through these. Next week, it's going to be Ephesians 4. Yeah. Or these. There's a theme emerging, yes. So, and it makes it simple. It sure. makes, and I like I like a, a, a you know a structured system like that. You go from one thing to the next. It makes sense. And this week, but the focus is not just on Ephesians three, but it's the mystery that Ephesians three, the Apostle Paul talks about so much. So, we're going to look at that. I don't believe we have other things except to remind people we do have our um, Emmanuel Institute coming up, and we want to let people know you can register for that right now at michigansspm.org. We'd love to have people come out and be part of that training. Uh, other than that, though, I think we're ready to dive in the lesson, unless you have something else. No. All right. Can you give us a word of prayer then? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We thank you for this letter to the church in Ephesus. We pray your Holy Spirit would guide us uh, in our study of it. Be with the classes that are reviewing this lesson, that we will be able to draw away practical truths that will help us in our daily walk with you. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The All mystery right. of the gospel. Talking points. What do we have this week? Yes, well, this week, uh, again, Ephesians 3 is kind of nicely laid out in three little sections already. There's kind of an introduction to what the mystery is and how Paul got it. And then if the middle section is what the application of it would look like in the church. And then there's basically a closing appeal at the end. So it made the, it lent itself nicely to developing talking points in that sense. Right. So talking point number one this week is that God revealed his mystery to Paul. That comes primarily from Monday's lesson and the first section of Ephesians, the first few verses of chapter 3. Then we have, talking point number two, Paul's mission was to make known the fellowship of the mystery. So he had to convey this concept, uh, 
not just academically, but experientially to people. And we're going to see that from Sunday and Tuesday's lesson and obviously Ephesians 3. And then finally, the mystery is motivating, that it does something more than, again, academic. There's a personal application. We'll see that from Wednesday and Thursday. So all the right. appeal is made. Fantastic. So, first of all, let's go back to what the mystery is and how Paul came upon it, right? God revealed his mystery to Paul. Now, repeatedly in the writings of Paul, he invokes this word mystery, which you and I, are, are uh, before we recorded, we were just kind of talking about these terms. Right. And Paul, to your point, was invoking a common Gentile phrasing of a hidden knowledge, a deep wisdom of some sort that maybe human beings might not, not, might not right. naturally have access to. And he's basically saying in the Christian world, there is this mystery and it's been hidden in God. And in Romans and 1 Corinthians and the book of Ephesians, he brings up these phrases. He talks about, for instance, Romans 16, verse 25. Mm-hmm. The mystery kept a secret since the world began. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. Hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages. Ephesians 1, we've already seen. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Uh, Ephesians 3, 9. Hidden in God. Colossians 1, 26. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. He, in, As I read those passages, which, by the way, to your point about mm-hmm. preparing for this, obviously I read Ephesians 3, but then I did a little uh, word search for the word mystery. Yeah. And obviously the, the person who uses the term the most is the Apostle Paul, and is scattered all throughout his letters that... Well, you alluded to the point that it was a common term among Gentile religions, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of this hidden wisdom, mm-hmm. and so that's more than likely why the Apostle to the Gentiles incorporates Exactly. So it's part of his communication of the gospel message, and he seems to be, well... There is this, we'll get to it in a minute, but there's a scope and breadth and height and depth to this message that's not something common to say or something easy to, you know, put in a quick bumper sticker or something. He's trying to appeal to a depth here, but refers to it as his hidden mystery, but now has been revealed. And you could get the impression that God had this big idea, but he didn't tell anybody about it. Mm-hmm. And then he revealed it to Paul. He said, no, right, it was kept secret. It was a kept secret. But clearly we know from the Old Testament, the whole purpose, as soon as man fell, we know that as soon as there was sin, there was a savior. And that in types and symbols, God had been communicating this great idea of reunification and redemption and salvation of mankind and the reuniting of heaven and earth was his ultimate goal, though it may not have been so explicitly laid out and it couldn't have been understood. Right. And I think this is... I was going to say, the secrets yeah. of God oftentimes are not necessarily because he's withholding something, but we are just in no frame of mind to receive them. Right. And if all of it is hinged on the fulfillment in Christ, there's only so much you right. could grasp before Christ came and did his ministry on the earth, right? So I don't think that when Paul says it was hidden and God hadn't told the world, but now he's told me, I think he's saying that there's this giant concept that God has that he's been step by step revealing through a process which culminated in the ministry of Christ. And now we have that message to give to the whole world, the fulfillment of that gospel concept that's been in God's mind. My mind goes to 1 Timothy chapter 3, where he says in verse 16, he talks about great, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Mm. So he brings up the idea of the mystery again, and then he goes on to say God was manifested in the flesh, justified yes. in the spirit, etc. So pointing to this incarnation of Christ, which back to your point, how do you 
explain that. You've got types and symbols in the Old Testament, but nothing is like the actual um, incarnation itself, the yeah. life and ministry of Jesus. Which, of course, the other apostles would have had direct access to, having been called by Jesus, mm -hmm. a firsthand witness. And I mean, While you think he was about, on the earth. Exactly. You think about Peter and James and John, they, they're witnessing the... The things like the transfiguration, the miracles right. of Christ, the resurrected Christ, they touched his hand. Paul, on the other hand, didn't have that. So when he says this has been revealed to me, well, that's our next point, is that how did, God, how did Paul get this knowledge? If it was hidden before and he didn't even witness Christ, well, he did witness Christ. And that's the key. Uh, you see in Ephesians chapter 3, in fact, why don't you just read uh, verse there, for, uh, the first um first three verses of Ephesians 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he has made known, or he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. So he referred in Ephesians chapter 1 to the mystery, but now mm -hmm. he, he brings this up again, and he says how he got it. He says it was revealed directly to him, by God. In fact, if you were to go back to the book before in the book of Galatians, we have a fascinating insight into this process. Galatians chapter 1, if you would please read verses 11 and 12 and then uh, 15 to 17. Uh, Galatians 1 verse 11 says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then you say verse 15. Mm -hmm. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, so he's talking about how he received the gospel commission and the knowledge of this mystery mm -hmm. that he was supposed to convey to the Gentile world specifically. And he says explicitly, as an Ephesian said, I got it direct from Revelation. And then Galatians, he makes the point, I did not confer with man. I didn't speak to the apostles, but God himself called me to this. And in the, in the book, Acts of the Apostles, we actually have some inside information on what was it like in Damascus mm -hmm. during that time. Uh, Desire, uh, Acts of the Apostles, I'm sorry, page 125 reads, Here in the solitude of the desert, Paul had ample opportunity for quiet study and meditation. He emptied his soul of the prejudices and traditions that had hitherto shaped his life and received instruction from the Source of Truth, capital S. Jesus communed with him and established him in the faith, bestowing upon him a rich measure of wisdom and grace. And again, in Acts of mm -hmm. Apostles, why don't you read this one, page 159. She goes page back to the theme. It says, The Lord had given Paul his commission to enter the broad missionary field of the Gentile world. To prepare him for this extensive and difficult work, God had brought him into close connection with himself and had opened before his enraptured vision views of the beauty and glory of heaven. So Paul had a time, a season of... You know, you look back in the chronology of it, and it was several years that, that he was alone with Christ mm -hmm. in the wilderness of Arabia. I don't know exactly what that means, but Sister White says he, she, he communed with Christ. His prejudices were dropped away. He had visions of heavenly glory that essentially 
when he says, I got this direct revelation from Jesus Christ, and then he could claim to be an apostle, he did spend his time with Jesus, just not in the way that the other apostles had. It's fascinating. So, I mean, there's so much to say about that. I mean, from the, from the standpoint of, you know, when you talk about witnesses and a credible witness, you, you're thinking about somebody who had that firsthand experience, which Paul did, but not like the other right. apostles. You can see why they hounded him. The yeah. Jews hounded him through the New Testament, like this guy's a false apostle because he wasn't there. Right. And I guess from a, a, a practical application standpoint, it kind of gives us hope and, and encouragement because none of us were there. Amen. You can almost say, well, I just don't have the ability, I don't know, I'm not smart enough, I'm not whatever we might use as mm. a... No, if if Paul wasn't there, but God could communicate to him through revelation, and he's very clear throughout his writings, by no virtue in himself... Absolutely right. ...then the God who has no respect of persons can also reveal to us that which is essential for our salvation. Amen. And to communicate to others. Right. To and so when Paul witnesses. had this experience, he then has to pass it on, which goes to our next point, that Paul's mission was to make known the fellowship of the mystery. So mm. Paul didn't confess that he got to see Jesus and now he now is in an elevated position. Apparently, his encounter with Christ wasn't just for the purpose of information or even personal transformation, but was in preparation for a ministry of giving that gospel message to the world, right? Right. And so, you had talked yeah. about this when we were preparing, but, you know, Ephesians six nineteen talks about, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel. And so we haven't really defined mystery so much. Right. Oh, it's the, it's the gospel. It's the gospel of Christ. It's Christ, Christ's incarnation or whatever else. But we contend when we just say the mystery is the gospel— to to limit mm-hmm. what Paul's trying to get at with right. the word mystery. Well, I think when people hear the word gospel, they're like, oh, that's the story of Jesus' life and ministry and his right. death on the cross, which, of course, is central to the gospel. But we're going to see that Paul keeps talking about this manifold wisdom, this, it's, and he even folks terms like the height, the breadth, the depth, that there's something bigger than just knowing that Jesus came and lived and died. Well, Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of, of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In other words, Yes, it's the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, but mm-hmm. what was that all for? What yes. was it to accomplish? And sometimes it's like, well, my personal salvation. Yes, that's true. But there is, Paul's sharing here, there's such a a, a, a broader picture yes. of what God was trying to accomplish through the mission of Christ. Absolutely. And in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, all... we would typically refer to it as like the great controversy or mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the plan of redemption. But it's it's bigger than, again, my personal uh, knowledge that Jesus came and lived and died. Central as that is. Yes. But to your point, what is the effect of it? What is the, what is the result of it? It's, I mean, Paul has in mind, and he repeatedly goes back to this idea of the reunification of heaven and earth, that there'd be one cosmic family under God's name alone, and sin would be done forever. These are bigger themes than most other, you know, Christian platitudes can really... Take my personal salvation. Take your personal salvation. Let's just say God convinces us and we're on his side. That doesn't mean the whole universe is on his side. Right. Let's say all humanity were to go that direction. Right. That still doesn't mean the questions that were started and mm-hmm. instigated by Lucifer are are answered yet. So that all has to be packed into this. Absolutely. And as we talked about, 
in our previous quarter that even the judgment, the, ex, the, the discerning between just and unjust and the destruction of the wicked in the, in the beginning, all of this is encompassed in when he says the word right. gospel or the right. mystery. So he basically, I like that he uses the word mysteries, like it's bigger than just a cliche or a phrase. It mm-hmm. is a concept that you can only really truly know and experience with Christ. Yes. Anyway, by the way, I think it's an interesting side point here that uh, I put in the notes that God's grace was Paul's marching order. And mm-hmm. it it occurred to me that he uses the word grace so frequently, not just in a, he is kind to me, or that God loves me and has a gracious uh, attitude toward me. But he basically is like, my grace is sufficient, so get up and do something. And mm-hmm. uh, his strength is made perfect in weakness right. that... So when he, Paul here in Ephesians 3, he says in verses 8 and 9, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. It goes on, but he says, this grace was given that I should do this thing. That, mm-hmm. that Basically, that those are his marching orders. That's a command from Christ. And of course, all of his biddings are enablings, and that is a work of grace in the life to to sure. obey Christ and have the strength to do what he asks. Well, to that point, it, you, it, just his language here, it's really fascinating, and I think people could skip over it, the uh, the fellowship of the mystery. In mm-hmm. other words, there's, there's, there's this concept mm-hmm. of this plan of, overarching plan of redemption, but then there's a fellowship with the plan. Yes. Like, in other words... Paul's not just wanting to convey an intellectual argument. Mm -hmm. So people are like, hmm, you know, things make you go, hmm. Paul (laughs) wants you to, and me to, experience. He wants his hearers to understand the fellowship, like this mystery of of what God accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this in the lesson, the creating of of the two, one new man in Christ Jesus. The, The ideal humanity. Like, Paul wants his reader to have fellowship with that, yes. to have an experience in the things of God. And Absolutely. And that that experience wouldn't just be internal, but it would be visible. It would be evidenced in the person and the relation of all the people who are called by his name, that it would be effective, right? That there would be application. And this is where the point is. Well, again, and even when I say, and I want to, I want to flesh this out a little bit more, but okay. the, even when it's the, I say the experience you know, for a lot of Christians, like, oh, I have an experience with Jesus. I went up to the altar. I prayed this prayer, and I had an experience with Jesus. Like, it's this one-time sliver of my <laughs> life. Okay. Paul, the, Paul is clearly not talking about a little sliver of time where you made this decision, and you went home like and felt good about yourself. a spiritual high or something. This is a an ongoing newness of life experience. Yes. You're, where you're, you, the, the fellowship of the mystery is you are now, and we're going to see that as we go on in the book of Ephesians, you're... You're putting off the old man and putting on the new man, etc. So it's a it's an ongoing uh, new way of life. Absolutely. And to the point I was going back to here in Ephesians, when after verses eight and nine, when he has said, "This grace was given me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery." Mm. Um, which again, this mystery from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. But look at verse ten. To the intent that now the manifold or multifaceted, right, Mm -hmm. wisdom of God might be made known, now catch this, by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Which, to me, just rattles my cage. Is it possible that there are 
principalities and powers in the heavenly places that need some education about mm. the mystery of God. That even they don't fully comprehend all that God has in store with this great controversy and his plan of redemption, right? Furthermore, not only does apparently uh, are there powers in the heavenly places, both, by the way, both good and evil, right? There are fallen and unfallen. Right. But the universe, the onlooking universe outside of humanity is looking to an object lesson to try to understand the mystery. And God points them where? To the church. That God's wisdom might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Well, going back to the language of the passage, and so he's talking about the fellowship of the mystery, but he also says to make all see see the fellowship. Right. Like this is an experience that is manifested in a way that people can see it, not just Mm. people on earth, but heavenly beings. That's incredible. So again, it's a mystery that's a knowledge. The fellowship is the experience. And then to make all see is the evidence to those who are outside of you that this thing is of effect. Absolutely. It's incredible thought. Um, the, uh, the lesson brought this out in Tuesday, paragraph four, about how, as especially in the context that they were, Paul was writing there, this Jew and Gentile divide, that if the fellowship of the mystery takes root in the individual, it will be start to see in the corporate relationship that something mm-hmm. is going to be different among the Christians. And uh, the contributor writes, The composition of the church, unifying Jews and Gentiles as once very divided parts of humankind, becomes a ringing announcement to these rulers and authorities in heavenly places of God's plan for the future, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the foretaste of the eventual ultimate unity of heaven and earth can be seen in the church, how individual lives are changed and they start relating to each other and they start forming the very kingdom of God still in this earth. It's incredible. Yeah, it's fascinating. Sister White writes in Testimonies, Volume 6. You want to read that? Page 13. Yes, page 13. In order to manifest the character of God, in order that we may not deceive ourselves, the church and the world by a counterfeit Christianity, in order that we may not deceive ourselves, the church and the world by a counterfeit Christianity, we must become personally acquainted with God. If we have fellowship with God, we are his ministers, though we may never preach to a congregation. We are workers together with God in presenting the perfection of his character in humanity. Mm. So that's fascinating. You're not preaching a sermon, but by the way you're living. And interestingly, in that first uh, sentence that I botched up, <laughs> it says, in order that we may not deceive ourselves, the church and the world, by a counterfeit Christianity. In other words, I'm in danger of deceiving the world by a counterfeit Christianity if I am not personally acquainted with God, I'm going to be calling myself a Christian and living some kind of life that's giving yeah. a false witness. Which, in, interestingly, her word is the fellowship with God, yes. right? That the same mm-hmm. term that Paul is using, she says that fellowship needs to be genuine in the life in order not only to deceive the onlooking people, even yourself or the church you're part of. Right. Is it possible you could have a fake experience? She said it needs to be rooted in Christ, which brings us to our final talking point that the mystery is motivating, that as you start to comprehend and grasp what Paul would refer to as the height and the depth and the, the expanse, the, uh, the, the deepness of what God has offered here, that as we start taking I steps of the appreciation... The lesson goes on to the, the four dimensions. Exactly. Right? It's, it's four-dimensional, whatever. Yeah. That, that it cannot help if you come to that with a genuine, sincere heart to transform your life. And that experience you were talking about, the fellowship mm-hmm. of the mystery, can truly be yours today. 
Uh, in Wednesday, paragraph three, what does it say there? Uh, Wednesday, paragraph three, mm-hmm. it says in Ephesians three sixteen to 19, Paul asks God to grant believers an abundant spiritual experience marked by inner strength through the Spirit's presence, intimacy with Christ, who is also portrayed as dwelling within, and a settled, secure spiritual identity, mm. i.e. rooted and grounded in love. And what the text actually says, we should have made clear to read this. Let me just read verses yeah. 14 through 21 here as he concludes this chapter. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. There's that universal mm-hmm. picture. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So again, Mm -hmm. to your point, far from a mere academic agreement or understanding, he's like, I want you to know it down in your bones and your soul. right? And then he concludes, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And I love that. Verse 21, did you notice it? To him be glory where? In the church. That we may glorify God in our own experience here in the church. Um, Concluding on Friday's lesson, there's a great quote that it referenced from the Review and Herald, well, October 1. Just before 1. you do oh. that, you have your, your... I just want to add this one little thing. Please do. The uh, mystery being motivating, and we just read yes. that, filled with the fullness of God, that should motivate. But uh, a verse that comes to my mind is in Revelation chapter 10, verse 7, it says, In the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. Yes. As he declared. So this isn't just like, hey, whenever I feel like it. Mm. Like, we live in a time where this is... this is the opportunity we have to be filled with the fullness of God or never. So there's almost like, not only an an internal zeal to, to be drawn to it, right. but also there's a prophetic urgency to it that we're living in the time. There's a window of opportunity. Right. This is that probationary time, and God entreats mm-hmm. us to come and have fellowship with him. Absolutely. Why don't you read Review and Herald, October 1, 1889, as we close. The apostle did not write these words to tantalize us, to deceive us, or to raise our expectations, only to have them disappointed in our experience. He wrote these words to show us what we may and must be if we would be heirs of the kingdom of God. How can we be laborers together with God if we have a dwarfed experience? We have a knowledge of the Christian's privilege and should seek for that deep spiritual understanding in the things of God that the Lord has desired us to have. Amen. Well, obviously, there's a lot to unpack here, Mm -hmm. but the application is clear that the Lord wants us to have the experience, that fellowship of the mystery, and I pray that that will be your experience today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for revealing to us this mystery that you've revealed to Paul, and not just on paper, but Lord, in person, may we each have that fellowship of the mystery. Help us to apply and, and really take advantage of all that Christ offers us in his plan of redemption. Lord, help us to also not only appreciate it for ourselves, but through your grace, become ambassadors of your grace to those around us, that they may see the distinction between Christian and otherwise, and that through our witness, others would be drawn to Christ. So Lord, use us, keep us until you come. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Talking Points. To make sure you don't miss a single episode, subscribe to the Talking Points podcast on all major podcast platforms. To watch Talking Points and other helpful video content, subscribe to our Emanuel Institute YouTube channel today. And finally, for all your Sabbath school, personal ministries, and public evangelism resources, visit michigansspm.org.